I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa, so sweatpants, sweatshirt. Anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. Jonji makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. Another reason to love Jonji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to Jonji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at Jonji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. When I was a little kid, my whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge Caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip, I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm recording. Let's go for it. All right. I'm Nate Hedgie. I'm Taylor Quimby. And Nate, I am going to ask you a question. I want you to answer with the first thing that comes to mind. Don't overthink it. Okay? All right. Okay. What do you think is the most successful species on the planet? Pigeons. Wow. that You didn't overthink that. I've always been fascinated with pigeons. I think pigeons, sparrows, field mice. Mice, yeah. Things that are like you find everywhere. I mean, I don't know if that's actually true, right? But like pigeons are super successful. Okay, so let me ask you, did you not at all consider that humans are the most successful species on Earth? Uh, Of course. (laughs) Well, I mean, it really depends. So I have been going out on the street asking friends and also random people this question. What do you think is the most successful species on the planet? Wow. Um. And the responses fall into two camps. The first camp is like... Humans? Are you kidding me? I would say humans. Obviously, humans. We're the most dominant. We're everywhere. But the other camp is all over the place. Oh, bees. I went with ants. Cockroaches. Maybe a cockroach. I don't know. Bacteria are pretty successful. I liked liked the bees. Bees. He was as matter-of-fact about bees as I was about pigeons. But if you ask these folks, what about humans... Oh, that, um... They're kind of like, have you looked around lately? We're not exactly crushing it. We, we do too much. We're, we're destroying them. We're destroying them. Um, I yeah, always destroy feel like we could be, but I think because of how things are, we, we're not in the place we should be. It sounds like we've got the makings of a very good debate. 
Nate, do you think humans have been successful as a species? Successful in the sense of like, I don't know, a Wall Street investor being really, really successful <laughs> as he leads the nation towards financial disaster. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're successful in that way, I guess. It's fairly simple. I think man is probably the worst species on this earth when you look what we've done to it. Sometimes scientists will use a word that seems more suited for self-help books and financial advice podcasts. Success. Evolutionary success, reproductive success, successional species. But what does it even mean for an organism or an entire species to succeed? Today on Outside In, we're asking a question that gets to the very heart of what it means to be alive. What is the most successful species on Earth? How do we measure that exactly? And how do humans stack up against all of the other possible candidates? Including pigeons, I guess. <laughs> including pigeons, of course, including pigeons. We must put them in there. And hey, we want to know what you think. So while you're listening, please take our poll on Twitter or on Instagram. We are at Outside In Radio. Because so many people assume, I think, without any real debate, that humans must be the most successful species on the planet. Nate, I want to start this conversation off with, uh, let's call it a challenger. I'm Steve Giovannoni. I'm a microbiologist at Oregon State University. So Steve is the guy who discovered one of the simplest but also most remarkable organisms on the planet. It was way back in the... 90s, early 90s, that we started cloning genes out of seawater to find out what kind of cells lived there. One of the first cells we encountered was a little bacterium. Does this little bacterium have a name? It does. It's called SAR-11. This isn't a COVID story, is it? No, no. SAR-11 is actually uh, what you and I would call a plankton. Okay. And people will ask, well, how'd you give it the name SAR-11? The answer is it was the 11th clone from the Sargasso Sea. So plankton, I just recently learned, Nate, uh, includes any of the tiny life forms that drift around in the ocean. So it's not just like plant plankton. There's not just animal plankton, but there's also fungi plankton and bacterial plankton. It's just anything that's kind of a drifter, really. Mm -hmm. And SAR-11 is among the smallest single-celled organisms in the ocean. It looks like a teeny tiny worm under the microscope, and it lives off of dissolved carbon in the water around it. At the time, we knew nothing about it, but subsequently we found that um, it's, uh, it's really the most abundant thing in seawater and on the planet. Most abundant? I mean, is there a way of measuring that? Yeah, let's see. Um, it's about 10 to the 28th cells. That means absolutely nothing to me. I mean, like, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> yeah, 10 to the 28th power is in the octillions. I don't even know what an octillion is. Like, that's too big of a, of a word for me. If you took a trillion and you multiplied that by a trillion, and then you multiplied that by 10,000, it's, it's like somewhere in that neighborhood. So that's more than the number of stars in the sky. Think of it this way. If a, a teaspoon of water might have uh, 100,000 of these cells in it, that's how abundant it is. And it's everywhere from pole to pole and from the surface down to the bottom of the ocean. 
So this is this is like, is this the most successful organism on the planet? Do you think because it's the most abundant? Well, that that's that's partially the question. You know what the first question that comes to my mind is like, what do they do? What do they do that we don't? Which is a stupid question. It's a silly. <laughs> it's a silly question. I was like, sure, I guess they're successful in terms of like, there's a lot of them. Yeah. Well, I I, th- I think this gets to the point that we, you you have this idea, what's the most successful, and as soon as you really approach it, you have to decide what are the metrics you're looking at. Like, what is the point? Right. What is success? And if you're looking just at numbers, then this is the winner. Uh, so Steve says to an evolutionary biologist, the definition of success is reproducing your genetic material. And so every single cell has a, a copy of its DNA. And his point is, it doesn't really matter how big the package is, right? If reproducing your genetic material is success, SAR-11 just knocks it out of the park, no matter how small these little teeny tiny cells are. Hey, question for you. Yeah. I mean, do they live pretty harmoniously in their environment or do they take over places and, you know, like choke places out? I guess I'm thinking of like in the plant world, um, algae blooms and things like that. Do they become invasive? No, they're they're really the reason they do well is because they're like they've like evolved to just exist. That's great. They figured it out. Yeah. And they they don't even have brains. It's just like with a virus, a virus that kills its host doesn't go very far. So the 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 long the long-term road to success for all organisms is to is to fit into the ecosystem uh, to have a stable niche. So Steve is inclined to think that numbers are important because, well, he studies microbiology. I think there's a point of pride for him. And when I called him, he told me that he actually had just been having this argument with a colleague who's not in microbiology. And as they talked about it, it became obvious that there are other metrics that we should also be taking into consideration. You asked about the, 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 the recent lunch I had where we discussed this. And, and there the, 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 the issue came up, were dinosaurs successful? They were incredibly successful for a period of time, and then uh, one big asteroid impact wiped them out, and so they became very unsuccessful. So we should talk about time. It's not just simply a numbers game, right? It's not the size of the population, it's the longevity of the population. Most importantly is the ability for that population to adapt to environmental changes so they can maintain uh, a sustainable long-term population. This is Rashida Farid, by the way. She is a wildlife ecologist at Tuskegee University. And for her dissertation, she spent a lot of time studying prairie dogs. Mm -hmm. And one thing she told me is that these two metrics we're talking about, numbers and longevity, they don't always go well together. You mean that having a big population isn't always a good thing? Exactly. Let's say you had a huge colony of uh, black-tailed prairie dogs. Okay. okay. It's a colony of over 100. Cue the prairie sound effects. What is a prairie sound effect? Is it crickety? Depends on the uh, the season, but let's say summertime, it's going to be crickety, buggety. It's going to be windy. Yeah. And so everybody's breeding. Everyone's happy. They've been there for uh, 30 years, this colony. Do prairie dogs make a sound? 
they do chirp, chirp, chirp sounds. Cool. So let's say this prairie dog uh, town is in a valley. So there's mountains and rivers, and they're, they're somewhat contained in that way. And so as it grows, all these prairie dogs are getting closer and closer and closer together. And so a very successful population with high density, and we think that's a good thing, they have lots of numbers, they're more successful, it's actually more vulnerable to a slight environmental change or disease, and therefore it spreads very fast and contagious like COVID, um, it wipes out the entire population. Whereas a smaller colony, right, they might be more spread out, so they still get hit, but enough of the population survives that they recover. Right. Like, I, I happen, this isn't just some, like, random hypothetical idea. I mean, prairie dog <laughs> colonies in the West sometimes get completely destroyed by bubonic plague. Which is a big deal, right? Because aren't, aren't prairie dogs the sort of animals that lots of other animals rely on? Like, like they're basically the, you know, the Cheetos of animal. Yeah, they're the Chicken McNuggets is, that, yeah. <laughs> is how, I, how it was explained to me. For, for the black-footed ferret, which is this very, very rare, uh, very endangered species out on the prairie. So in terms of longevity, one might argue that horseshoe crabs or crocodiles or even ginkgo trees, that they are the most successful species on Earth, not because they have huge population sizes, but because they've had stable populations that have survived the ups and downs of the planet and at this point have been around for hundreds of millions of years, right? Yeah, I mean— crocodiles survive the impact that killed the dinosaurs. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> it's more impressive than the dinosaurs. Yeah, absolutely. Dinosaurs, they kind of blew it. Yeah. Going off and dying like that. Failed. <laughs> What's the, I'm trying to remember. Mortal Kombat. How did it go? Yeah, what was Mortal Kombat's one? Um, Fatality. Finish him. <laughs> has has SAR-11 been around a long time? So uh, We can't say how long exactly, but the group to which it belongs does go back about a billion years, give or take. It's almost unfair, like, competing against bacteria on some of these metrics. Yeah, definitely. On the other hand, I mean, how do you think humans stack up on this one, on longevity? Oh, I mean, like, we've barely been around. You know, if we're looking at, like, yeah. geological time, I mean, we're just a little beep, just a little, you know, blink on the radar. So, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think we're, we're doing great when it comes to longevity? I just think it's too soon to say. It's like if you were to ask which, which was more successful, America or the Holy Roman Empire— I'd be like, I'll let you know in 600 years or for something. Yeah, the jury's still out. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of people might say that it's not looking good. Like Dr. Freed said, if there were an alien biologist, a Martian that's looking down on Earth and it's studying humans, it might be talking about us the way that we were talking about prairie dogs. The Martian might say <laughs> that we probably should have slowed down a couple of hundred years ago <laughs> yeah. and paced ourselves because we're fast moving towards the cliff. Um, and we all know in ecology, when you move towards that caring capacity, uh, things just go downhill from there. Disease, mm. limited food resources, health declines. It's a very uncomfortable way of thinking about humans because we're human. It sounds like a fun exercise in the beginning, but it, maybe it might end up being a little depressing when you really get down to it. I think so. I think it is quite depressing. Sorry, humans. Longevity, not our not our strong point. <laughs> but she says that so happily that I... <laughs> yeah, she does. She does. She's like, it's depressing, but also, isn't it interesting? <laughs> uh, 
Up next, we take this question and spin it. What does success look like for us? We have spread all over the world and established vibrant cultures in, in every place that you can even vaguely inhabit. But first, vote. Vote, vote, vote. Vote for the thing. Vote for the stuff vote that we're putting the in the social medias. <laughs> What's the most successful? Even though that's a really hard question for a very complicated answer. <laughs> and to find out what, what, what you have to say out there, you can also subscribe to our free newsletter, where I'm sure we will put a bunch of the responses. There is a link in the show notes. Be right back. Hey, everybody, it's Rob Lowe here. If you haven't heard, I have a podcast that's called Literally with Rob Lowe. And basically, it's conversations I've had that really make you feel like you're pulling up a chair at an intimate dinner between myself and people that I admire, like Aaron Sorkin or Tiffany Haddish, Demi Moore, Chris Pratt, Michael J. Fox, there are new episodes out every Thursday, so subscribe, please, and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. And we're back. Go. Hey, I'm Nate Hedgie. This is Outside In. Welcome back. Welcome. Producer Taylor Sorry. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Quiet. Me first. <laughs> Producer Taylor Quimby is with me, asking us to consider what is the most successful species on the planet? Taylor, where do things stand right now? Okay, so let's say sheer numbers goes to SAR-11. Uh, jury's okay. still out on longevity, but but bonus points for horseshoe crabs and crocodiles. Yep. Um, but let's be honest here, because speaking of Mars... Human beings are the only species I know that have a shot at intentionally colonizing other planets. Like, we, we do something special. We spread. Yeah, very far. People talk about colonizing species being successful, so that's early successional species. So this is the third scientist that I bothered with an absurd question. Uh, his name is Dr. Stuart Pickett. He's an urban ecologist at the Cary Institute for Ecosystem Studies. And he says the word success is sometimes used in a botanical context in very specific ways. Some exotic species, introduced species, may be considered to be successful if they become naturalized and begin to spread. They're considered successful if they become naturalized and begin to spread. So again, uh, Dr. Pickett is talking about plants here, and I acknowledge that colonization has a lot of baggage outside of that context. Mm -hmm. But if you take 
just that criteria that he's talking about. Right. I think I think humans are pretty much killing it. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. Nate, there's a Wikipedia entry um, that I think makes this point very well. I, would you click on this link? Yes. So so this is the, the, the Wikipedia article for human. Humans are one of the most adaptable species despite having a low or narrow tolerance for many of the Earth's extreme environments. Ah, that's, a, that's, that's pretty good. We are like a naked ape can live in the Arctic. Yeah, and like enjoy it. <laughs> and enjoy it. No, yeah. that's key. That's clutch. <laughs> All right, skip it. Skip to the next graph, just first sentence here. Within the last century, humans have explored challenging environments such as Antarctica, the deep sea, and outer space. I think these are all very compelling points that this Wikipedia page is making. I mean, I definitely feel better about us, you know? We have culture, we have, I mean, we created music, yeah. you know, that's amazing. We've done a lot of really, really neat Ten, things. Nine, ignition sequence starts. Six, You know, in general, yes, humans do have this material success, and we have spread all over the world and established vibrant cultures in, in every place that you can even vaguely inhabit. But I knew there was a but coming. Of course. <laughs> There's always a but. So, so I was talking about spreading, colonizing. You brought up this thing that a lot of people want to talk about when it comes to humans being special, which is culture. Yes. And when we start ooing and aahing over music and art and philosophy, we are projecting our own sense of success onto animals for whom those things are not necessarily very important. And that may be a little dangerous because we're expressing intentionality, we're expressing sort of social decision-making, and that's not what's generating the success of Norway Maple or the nutria or something like that. Yeah. It's something much more sort of, it is material, but it's, um, it's, uh, not, it's not culture. To be fair to Stuart Pickett, who was kind enough to bat around this idea of, you know, what makes a species successful with me, he does ultimately think the premise of my question is flawed. There's, I mean, what's the ideal species? There's no ideal species because each species might have an ideal place, an ideal situation, and those are scattered all over the place, all over the world, all over your continent or whatever. Mm, yeah. What I want to really do is change the question and make the question be, what kinds of situation will any species be successful in? So when I asked scientists to define success at the species level, you know, they talked about population numbers and longevity and evolution and adaptation. But I thought it was really interesting because when you ask these same scientists, how do they define success as an individual? Oh, gosh. Why did you ask me this? <laughs> the conversation goes in just a completely different direction. And then I have to be honest about it, too, right? <laughs> you know, there's a certain amount of just sort of being being happy and engaged in some part of the world. Uh, the, the, the balance, the fun part of the work with everything else in life is 
that's actual real success. I adore mentoring. I adore, that is my legacy. Okay, so uh, that last voice again is Rashida Farid, who I should mention when we spoke, she just had a baby. Um, like we, like, I mean like weeks before we talked. Oh, wow. Uh, and also her father had just recently passed away. And, and because of that, I think I caught her at one of those big transitional times where, you know, people are, are actually trying to evaluate, like, who am I and what does success mean for me? But my father passed this past May. Oh, um, I'm so sorry. And so, thanks. Um, and so I, I think about him quite a bit. He was very instrumental in my life. And he had this phrase, uh, just be. And, you know, if you think about all the things you go through as a, a student, a graduate student, you know, the tough, the tough exams, the tough advisors, um, all the difficult things. You know, I'm a black woman in ecology. So you think about all the internships and the harsh environments that I put myself in and to come out on the other side and still be my whole self, the person who I am fundamentally when I was just 15 years old in rural backwood, Alabama, if I could just be who I am and still be able to do that as a professional, that is success, right? To come through all of those things I wanted to achieve and still achieving and still be who I am fundamentally and very true to myself, that is success. So here's my question, Nate. Why is it then when we're evaluating success of other species, you know, we're talking about all this scientific right. stuff. But when we look inwards, we, we start talking about something much deeper and harder to understand. Like, like you, you don't look at an animal and say, like, is that animal being its authentic self? <laughs> yeah, you don't look at like a caribou and being like, are they being true to themselves? Um, yeah. That's a great question. I think it comes down to the fact that we see animals as others. And um, well, let me think. Let me think. How do I answer this? So even though I thought Rashida had a really beautiful and sort of uniquely human answer to this question about success, in our conversation, she was also really clear that she does not think that we are as special as we might want to believe. The human animal is not separated or somehow not applied to the same standards of nature. We are creatures of nature. Right. Um, and so... We don't get our own our own completely different set of criteria for how we no, think about no, things. No, yeah. no, no. The laws of physics don't change for humans. <laughs> <laughs> the laws of nature don't change either. The end game for humans, if they're successful, is still the same. It is ultimately the passing of genes, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'll give you an example. So when I was doing my master's and my PhD, I'm from a very large conservative family in rural Alabama. Sure. So <laughs> my father would call me almost for 18 years straight every Mother's Day and wish me a happy future Mother's Day. <laughs> oh. oh, wow. It's not, it's not because he didn't have grandchildren. I have six older siblings. It has nothing to do with that. But in his mind, and traditionally within the culture of most humans for the last, I don't know, four or five hundred years, uh, success is measured by have you started a family and had children and therefore passed on your genes, your traditions and your values. Right. So it's a little bit more complicated, but ultimately it is comes down to the same. 
the same, the passing of the genes. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. Well, it's, it's like there's two things here, because the, the question that keeps popping up in, in my mind that we haven't even talked about is religion at all, right? Because if you were to talk to a religious person about what, what is success, what is meaning in your life, you know, I think you'd have a totally different mm. ballgame, right? It's like, have I been, you know, oh, uh, yeah. have I have I lived a good... Been, have I been faithful to God? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Have I been faithful to God? Am I walking in the path of Christ or, or what have you? That's really interesting. I, it comes down, I guess, a little bit culturally. The other thing that's interesting about humans is that we don't just use genes to pass things down. Right. So, for example, like, writing a book, yeah. writing a memoir, right. passing down your values through teaching. And like these are in some ways unique human things that we are able to do, like to to be remembered, to have a legacy yeah. that is not just genetic. Some people, I think that is their idea of success. Right. That I exist beyond the footprint of my life. I mean, what does success mean to you? Oh, man. What does success mean to me? Uh, success means to me that I'm happy every day, that I feel like I'm either bringing joy or digging deep. I don't know. Um, so it's not it's not reproducing your genome is what your, your <laughs> success. No. <laughs> success to you no. isn't about spreading. No, no, your... no, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's definitely it's 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 personal stuff. Right. It's like it's like for me, yeah. I think success is happiness. Are you happy at the end of the day? Or do you do you feel like satisfied? Do you feel like the work in your life brings meaning um, and that meaning, you know, meaning to others, I guess that's that's success to me. It's it's small stuff. Yeah. The thing about this is that I really actually like the idea of trying to evaluate this with literally anything but humans. But humans are the only thing that we can try and evaluate happiness. Whether they're feeling successful. Whether or not they're happy. Whether or not they're content. Whether or not they... Uh, yeah, I think a little bit. I think that there's still... You can definitely like see signs of depression in an elephant or um, you know a dog. But we also don't determine like... You know, my dog's being really successful because he's happy. You know, like there is a separation in terms of like what we consider success to be um, as a species versus an individual, um, I think. I don't know. This is like a, this is a tricky this is a tricky one that you're, you're kind of bringing up. And when we begin to acknowledge some of these cognitive abilities in other species, you can't help but then go down the rabbit hole of um, do they appreciate things simply for beauty? And that changes our entire perspective of how we see wildlife and nature around us. Perhaps other species have measures of success beyond reproduction and survival too. Um, but because of our own biases as humans and the way we view things and our desire to be very special, which is normal, um, we haven't really allowed our, our brains to even fully explore some of these concepts. Um, but I think it's a beautiful thing. Even just to think about it, I think it's a beautiful thing. So what species is the happiest? Is is that our hypothetical metric? Yeah. Dogs are pretty happy. I mean, it could be dolphins. They seem like they've got a pretty good outlook on life. Oh, yeah. I mean, like when they're not dodging fishing nets. <laughs> oh, dark. That was dark. That sounds so dark. I sound so <laughs> <Jeez>. dark. <laughs> Negative uh. Nate here. <laughs> well, I, you know, like we're, this isn't a question that we can answer, right? Um, but but there's, there's two things I want to leave you with, Nate, here. Um, one is a positive thing and the other is a, a creepy story mm-hmm. first the positive thing so working on this episode i have realized that every living thing on earth today 
we're all related to each other, right? Through countless generations going back to the, the primordial ooze. So mm -hmm. in some way, like each of us is the evolutionary success story. Like all as individuals and as a collective family, like we we all succeeded. We're here. Right, right. Yeah. Bottom line, we are alive and we exist right now is a miracle enough. Yeah. What's the what's the uh, what's the 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 sad okay, story? The creepy story. Yeah. All right. So remember remember SAR eleven. Yeah. Most abundant life form on the planet. Right. Well, in 2020, researchers were studying this tiny tiny cell, mm -hmm. and they discovered a tiny 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 virus that lives inside it. Oh no. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. The, these viruses that uh, that infect these cells are the most common viral virus type on the planet. So in a sense, you could say they're more successful than their host. I'm sure there are more COVID viruses on the planet Earth than there are humans. So right now, I guess you could say COVID was more successful than us. Taylor, you said this was not going to be about COVID. <laughs> it's not. It's just the ending. It's just creepy. I'm sorry. So before we do the credits, I just want to say in advance that we know we barely scratched the surface of this argument. This is this is one of those makes you think episodes, not like the here's the answer episode, <laughs> you know? <laughs> exactly. Yes. So we want to ask you, what do we get wrong? What species do you think should have been up for contention? And what are some other ways that success can be measured? We've got a woefully incomplete poll on Twitter based off of the conversation we just had, but... We are really hoping that you'll share your thoughts with us via email at outsidein at nhpr.org. And then you should subscribe to our free newsletter because that is where we will be sharing your responses and keeping the conversation going. This episode was produced by you, Taylor Quimby. Me. It was edited by me, Nate Hedgie, and Rebecca Lavoie. Additional editing help from Justine Paradise, Felix Poon, and Jessica Hunt. Rebecca Lavoie is our executive producer. A quick special thanks to everybody who answered my questions at the top of the show. Josemar Ochoa, Kerry Grant, Butter Wilson, Tim Blagden, Robert Baker, Sheila Rydell, and Bob Bulak. Music for this episode by Blue Dot Sessions and Jules Gaia. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. You think like a slug is happy? <laughs> I think a slug could be pretty happy. Just, just slugging like, it up. Life. Every just day. Slugging it just up. Like, sliding. Wakes up, chilling. yawns, says like, today I'm going to be the best slug I can be. I'm just going to cruise across the sidewalk today. I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to make it. Hey, everybody. It's Rob Lowe here. If you haven't heard, I have a podcast that's called Literally with Rob Lowe. And basically it's conversations I've had that really make you feel like you're pulling up a chair at an intimate dinner between myself and people that I admire, like Aaron Sorkin or Tiffany Haddish, Demi Moore, Chris Pratt, Michael J. Fox. There are new episodes out every Thursday. So subscribe, please, and listen wherever you get your podcasts. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.